Welcome to Hospital Podcast 377. And this is slightly different from normal because we're celebrating International Album Day. It's the 70th anniversary of the creation of the thing that we call the album. Now, I'm here with Chris the Goose Goss. Uh, we are the OG foundation <laughs> people from Hospital Records and we're going to play you our favourite albums that that informed our own musical DNA and thereby kind of informed the DNA of Hospital Records. Would you say, Chris? That's right. Yeah, I guess so. So yeah. um, just just a few, a few facts before we kick off. Hospital have released eight albums already this year with more to come. In total... Hospital and Med School have released 171 albums. Can you believe that? Is that right? That's absolutely... Really? Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, Ed wrote these notes, so maybe it's completely wrong, <laughs> but I don't know. So, someone out there, Thanks, if, if you've got time, can you can you fact check and, and let us know? Actually, it probably is right. Actually, knowing Ed, hmm. he's quite OCD when it comes to details, so yeah. it probably is the case. The first album ever recognised as being released on LP format was the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto in E minor on Columbia. Banger. June 1948. So, there's loads of events going on, but this is our thing, okay? Um, And uh, the whole thing's supported by BBC Music. And when I say that, they're not giving us any money. and They're not not even offering to play any of our tunes. No, exactly. So I don't know how on earth they're supporting this whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) It, it just says that on the notes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway uh, before, before and yeah, let's just get on with it. Um, so, so we 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 tried to agree that we would choose. Like last night, we sort of said, "So how many are we going to have each?" It was I sort of said four or five. Then you said, "Well, maybe ten. We tried to say seven. <laughs> so yeah. it's a slightly random number, but like as as we were saying earlier, I mean, I suppose like a lot of people, we could choose so many, so many albums. Uh, yeah, because we we've got hundreds of thousands each in our collections. And, you know, <laughs> we, we could just go, actually, on, go let, for it. But let's face it, like now, actually, like you and I think of it as like things we've got in our collection. But now it's as much as like which album do you choose to sort of play on Spotify? Like while you're doing the washing up. I mean, this is it's it's that as well, isn't it? Let's face it. So did did you know fact that in fact. 2017, 135 million albums were either purchased, downloaded, or streamed. That's a there great you go. fact. Talking about people having lots of albums. Mm. The fact is that you lot out there have got far more albums at your disposal than we ever had mm. Unt- mm. until we got Spotify about three years ago. <laughs> 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 so, so you're really lucky. But, but it's a problem that it, it, it's a it's it's a kind of luck that comes with problems because how do you then listen? You can't listen to all these albums, can you? Because mm. you, you haven't had to buy them all. Yeah, and, and I, I think it works both ways because I think maybe you and I, were, in preparing for this, I instinctively just started going through my records on my shelves, trying to find things. There were things that I couldn't find, things that you know are already in front of the record deck because I play them so regularly. Yeah, um, and I think that that that's the instinct that you and I have when it, when we think about this idea or our love of our favourite albums. And yet, of course, I was sat there with the girls and they were going. Well, Dad, if you can't find it, just just go on. And, and they were like going on YouTube or yeah, <laughs> Spotify yeah, yeah, and finding yeah. it for me quicker yeah. than I could get to the third rack. You yes. know, and that's that that that's the modern phenomenon. But we're all, I mean, we are we we are all really lucky that actually we we have this amazing access to music now. Yeah. yeah, we are. All I would say to you, if if your your manner of consuming music is streaming, is try and listen to complete albums. Mm. 
don't be tempted just to go from track to track and album to album because people made albums with a shape and they made them with within an emotion that runs through certainly the, the good albums mm. that are out. There are some terrible albums, obviously. Um, the ones that we've chosen are examples of brilliant albums, in our opinion, and we do encourage you to track them down, however, whatever the format, and listen to them from beginning to end. Mm. Treat yourself. And in yeah. fact, apparently, allegedly, on Saturday the 13th of October, the British public are being invited to stop whatever they're doing, unless you're driving on a motorway, <laughs> and play their favourite LP record from start to finish at 3.33 RPM. In the afternoon, <laughs> of course. So nice, you know, as long as you're somewhere safe and you're not an airline pilot. It's so far, show that. Um, it really is, isn't it? It really is. But anyway, you know, yeah. the, you know, there are a bunch of people at the BPR going, "Brilliant, yeah, we've got it. We really smashed this one." They spend the whole day around a massive table, all 25 people talking about that to come up with that. Anyway, big up the BPI. Yeah, it must be hard doing your job. Um, we're we're going to kick off, Chris. Yeah. There's no countdown. Let's just yeah. go through these albums and we'll we'll take it in turns. You yeah. you start. Okay. So uh, the first one that I wanted to pick was Breakfast in America by Supertramp, which uh, came out in 1979. Um, is a special record to me in a lot of ways. Uh, that was the year that with my family we spent six weeks in America um, on this amazing summer holiday. Which you know back then you know people didn't do that kind of thing back then. We had like we had like a house exchange with another with another family. We lived in their house for six weeks. They lived in our, our house for six weeks, and it was the most incredible experience. One thing that we did on that holiday, me and my brother, was we were given some pocket money to buy one album each. Wow! Right, and I actually bought Back to the Egg by Wings. Nice. And he bought Breakfast in America. Nice. And for all sorts of reasons, that that album just soundtracked the the holiday the summer uh the entire experience um and i just i can't help but look back on it with a genuine love for the songwriting the arrangements all sorts of things um i also think like you know they are they're quite a unique band super yeah, tramp massively um very sort of prog very, very, very unique and original. Uh, incredible, incredible songwriters, amazing musicians. I ended up watching, like, on YouTube, there's a great gig that they played in Paris, which there's a film of maybe from the mid-'70s. Just amazing. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a record that stands up. Also, I love the cover. The album cover is brilliant. You know, it's it's the skyline of Manhattan made from, like, sort of egg cartons and, and, and cups and it's sauces. It's very Ricky Trickart, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very you know. Trickart. And then, like, you turn it over, there's a classic photo of the band in, like, an American diner. It, all those details are so beautifully delivered. And it's just, you know, it, and it's a it's a fabulous record, been heavily sampled. Um, and one song that I play constantly from it is called uh, Child of Vision. An amazing track. And can I just say why that album is very, very special to me as well? Because it's it's the first time that I heard the Wurlitzer EP200 electric piano. Wicked. Which is my instrument of choice. It's yeah. my, my go-to writing tool. And also almost every tune that I've ever released since Rewind by London Electricity heavily features this Wurlitzer. Wicked. And this album is saturated with yeah. Whirly. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So... Should we listen to the tune? Yeah, Child of Vision by Supertramp. Fantastic. Child of Vision 
So, uh, Tony, mate, your first choice. My first choice is an album that I bought when I was in my second year at Middlesex Polytechnic. Um, it's Computer World by Craftwork. Mm-hmm. Now, it's an amazing album. It's got an amazing cover. It's There are so many great memories that are associated for me with that album. Um, getting to know it, the way it informed the whole of the dance music scene that hadn't even evolved at that time because mm. we're talking 1980, I, yeah, I think. right. Um, and it was totally unique. I'd, I'd listened to some of their earlier albums in the record library at college because in those days, in a music college, you you would have to go to the record library in the basement and talk to the librarian who used to order records. And if you, if you became mates with him, you could actually tell him what to order. It was amazing. Wow. So I used to listen to John Peel and then just go down, go down and see him and say, can you get this, this list of records, please? And he would get them. You know, he, had, he had the most amazing... I mean, when that, when that was closed down, oh, that record collection. Anyway, so I got to know Craftwork, really, really fell in love with what they were doing with Autobahn and their, mm. their, their kind of man machine and their, their early kind of albums. I bought Computer World on the first pressing when it came out, went to Virgin Megastore and blew me away totally blew me away um the christmas holidays after i bought it i, I went home and i used to go home with my records like i did so you could listen to your records at home <laughs> yeah. and my granny was living with us it was like in her sort of final year basically um my granny on my mum's side and i distinctly remember because we, we had the record player in the same room we had the piano and i was watching telly and i heard computer love playing from the music room mm. and I was like Who, who's is the dog listening you know so <laughs> so I kind of I kind of opened the door and there was my granny who was 89 sitting just facing the hi-fi listening to this craftwork album <laughs> completely still totally at peace with the world wow. and I, I quietly closed the door and she listened She listened to the whole album. Brilliant. And uh, <laughs> That's she's Norwegian. She was brought up on a fjord. No. She did actually know the wife of Grieg. I discovered a photo the other day at my mum's house. Of wow, their, really? Of, of, wow. Them, of them together. But, but, but just, <laughs> it was quite bizarre. And it, but it made me realise that this album actually can reach, if it can reach an 89-year-old woman and make her want to listen to all of it all the way through... Who, who actually hates pop music. There's something yeah. special about it.
my second favourite album um, is by a band called The The. Ooh. Uh, and The The was basically one man, man called Matt Johnson. And um, the album called Soul Mining. Right. And I think it came out in 1983. And it's, Was that after Infected? No, 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 no. It was before. before. Before Infected. I think Infected was about three years later, okay. maybe even four. Okay. Um, and I, you know, it, it, it's got this, it's got this kind of hand-drawn, slightly weird kind of uh, drawing of a woman smoking a cigarette on the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it looks strange. Yeah. Um, I think there's only seven tracks on it. Um, and it's it's utterly unique. Um, you know, Matt Johnson is highly political, very much sort of social commentator from England, uh, writing quite angular, at times quite angry kind of songs, but with yeah. genuine soul and depth. And and this record just not only stood out at the time, but now continues to stand up. Um, and, you know, having bought and loved so much music from the 80s, I just feel like this is, this is such a unique record. Um, I managed to actually, like, hear the sort of, last 10, 15 minutes of him, he was being interviewed uh, down at the Great Escape in Brighton a couple of years ago. Wow. Um, you know, and because he, he started to tour again more recently, um, having been sort of absent from the music world for quite a while. Um, but, you know, it's it, it, it's a record that's still tremendously evocative for me, you know, um, really fantastic, like, adventurous so, uh, noise-making and production styles. And then also there's, you know, the, I guess... I, I love all the tracks on it. Maybe the one that I, I I always go back to is called Uncertain Smile, which yeah. actually features this incredible piano solo by Jules Holland. Um, no who, way, I didn't know he was on it. Yeah, who at the time, of course, was, was playing with Squeeze. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like a, a bit of an unlikely kind of combination, but it's just, it's, you know, it it's just a brilliant, brilliant, timeless record. Very, very British. Um, Quite abrasive and, as well. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not easy listening. Yeah. And then, like, because, like, when he graduated to that Infected album, which came later, which, in fact, I think he really became... I remember a lot of my friends getting into that record. Mm. I think that was in the world at the time when, you know, he was starting to make a lot more videos for yeah, his tracks. Yeah, yeah. And that album became far, far better known. But by then, you know, I sort of enjoyed it, but it was just nowhere near as good. No, it wasn't. As, you know, as I remember mining. buying Infected, yeah. getting really excited and going home and trying really hard to like it, <laughs> but I never really did. I can remember, like, like in fact, like I used to go to this, like, what, what was called, like, an indie night. Uh, I, I was, like, 16, 17, that was uh, above a pub in Stratford called The Pigeons, that, in fact, amazingly, I found out later, Paul Rico from SRD used to go to exactly the same club night on the, at the same time. We got Rico, <laughs> SRD, Distributed <laughs> Hospital, and every Jungle and Drama based label for Absolutely. about a million years. Absolutely. Massive player in the scene. But I remember, like, you know, that that was when kind of like indie disco night, indie records, indie as a sort of art form, if you like, a musical style, where, like, you know, kids like me would would go out and you'd listen to DJ play records by the Smiths and the Cult. But at that time, like, you know, that infected record was kind of massive. But I just, now I listen to it, it just sounds really dated to me, where, where you know, Soul Mining is just is just a beautiful, yeah. timeless record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I they actually they, they, I think um, there was like a thirtieth anniversary edition of it that came out recently, 
Um, but I just, you know, I'm, I very proudly still have like you know the original uh, pressing of it that I bought back back then. Yeah, still sounds lovely. Nice. Um, production is fat, um, and yeah. So this is um, Uncertain Smile by the the.
My second album, or my favourite albums, is... I had to choose something by Frank Zappa. <laughs> I'm an absolutely massive Frank Zappa fan, and he's written so much music that I haven't heard it all. Um, him and Ennio Morricone have probably written far more music than anyone is ever capable of listening to in a, in a <laughs> lifetime. Um, but this, this album's called Hot Rats. It's an incredible piece of work. And I, I bought this on spec because of the cover <laughs> and kind of because I knew that because I was into music that I should, people had told me, you you will like Frank Zappa. Right. I didn't know if I'd like it or not. And actually quite a lot of the album I hated. But there's one track on there, which is called Peaches on, yeah. Re, on Regalia, yeah. <laughs> which is phenomenal. Amazing. And it started me on my journey with, with Frank Zappa. Um, I discovered quite a few albums that I've deeply fallen in love with, such as Studio Tan, which is an incredible album. And I, I do urge anyone to... I mean, that that would have been the, the other one I, I, I was mm. going to choose. It's, it's kind of equal with, with, with Hot Rats. I've grown to love the rest of Hot Rats since. Peaches on Regalia gives you a very, very good introduction to Frank Zappa. And I do advise you to enter his world and, and never come out again. <laughs>
So my yeah, my third choice um, is by Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Nice. Um, I'm a huge Elvis fan, but this Elvis, not that Elvis. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I can remember just being really fascinated by those early singles that were on top of the pops and watching this really weird, very sort of bendy, angular guy with big glasses oh, yeah. on the telly. Yeah. And I always remember thinking like the band, the band just looked great. There's something about these guys that I'm really sort of fascinated by. And I, I first got, uh, I remember getting like a, a greatest hits, a very early greatest hits that was on Telstar. You know those Telstar compilations? Oh, yeah. There'd be about 13 tracks on one side of yeah, vinyl. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, this was like an, uh, I mean, I suppose it must have been maybe 83 or something like that, um, that I got that initial greatest hits. And I just played it to death. And it really, really got me into him as a writer and a, and a performer. I remember when this album came out, Blood and Chocolate, again, like brilliant, brilliant cover. I believe the painting is actually by him, done in a kind of, uh, sort of presented like a sort of plain chocolate, Bourneville sort of chocolate bar wrapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. What's your favourite track? I'm intrigued. So, I mean, I love the whole thing, but I think just has to be I Want You. Brilliant. You know, it, it, it's, it, it continues to be such an affecting record uh, and such an incredible song. And the, and the thing about Elvis is just, I mean, I do believe he's just the most incredible writer. Uh, really, really, uh, personally, I just think he's one of this country's great ever songwriters. Yeah. Um, and that song, the way it, the, the way it is performed and delivered by him, uh, just gets me every time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I remember after this record came out, um, I believe that was then the first time that off that tour, he'd not played with the Attractions for a few years. He'd done a few sort of solo records. And, you know, he, I mean, he's an incredibly diverse writer, performer, arranger, you name it. He's done so many things. After, off the back of this record, he then did another tour with the Attractions where he had that spinning wheel on stage. Remember that? Yeah. And me and Simon, my brother, we went. We managed to get tickets, really oh, good tickets, lovely. Uh, to the Royal Albert Hall. Um, and the concert was in three parts. In the middle, just Elvis acoustic guitar on a stool. Nice. And then the third part, he'd bring out this big sort of like, um, you know, like the sort of Price is Right kind of spinning wheel. And the like spinning a game wheel had, show. And had, yeah, and had all these different song titles on, on the spinning wheel, and he'd get people out of the crowd, and they'd come and like give it a spin, and it would be like anything, anything you like, and it would land on a song, and they'd look at it and go, no, not that one, spin it. <laughs> but... But honestly, it was like about a three-hour gig. It was It'd be just wicked in- to do that with a DJ set, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> Maybe we should try it. Yeah. We should try it. But, um, and the only other thing I would say is, like, he recently, um, he recently uh, wrote an autobiography, um, which I highly recommend. My lovely eldest daughter, Erin, bought it for me for Christmas two years ago. Um, and it is... I can't just... Uh, I'll think of... Uh, we'll come up with the title of the, yeah, the book yeah, at the end yeah, of the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. The book is brilliant. The book is is just... It's almost like a love story from him to the world of popular music. You know, he's such a fan. The way he writes about, you know, everything from Sonny Boy Williamson through to uh, the early Tamla Motan releases to Burt Bacharach and, and contemporary music. You know, he's made a great album with The Roots. He's done all these different things. And I... I mean, I don't, I don't read anywhere near enough, but I loved every second of that book. I was constantly, like, I was reading it and, like, on my phone, on YouTube, to sort of soundtrack it at all those different yeah, yeah, points, of course. you know. So I, I really urge people to, 
try and taste a little bit of Elvis Costello. Oh, my baby, baby, I love you more than I can tell. I don't think I can live without you. And I know that I never will. Oh, my baby, baby, I want you so it scares me to death. I can't sing anymore than I love you. Everything else is a waste of breath I want you You had your fun You don't get well no more I want you Your fingernails go dragging down the wall Be careful darling You might fall want you I woke up and one of us was crying I want you You said young man I do believe you're dying I want you If you need a second opinion As you seem to do these days I want you But you can look in my eyes And you can Count the ways I want you Did you mean to tell me But seem to forget I want you Since when were you so generous And inarticulate I want you it's the stupid details that my heart is breaking for It's the way your shoulders shake and what they're shaking for I want you, it's knowing that it knows you now after only guessing It's the thought of him undressing you or you undressing Some tatty compliment your way I want you And you were fool enough To love it when it's said I want you hurt you it's just like the dark it scares you reckless but in time you see things clear and stark I want you go on and hurt me then we'll let it drop I want you 
I'm afraid I won't know where to start I want you I'm not ashamed to say I cried for you I want you I want to know the things you did that we do too I want you I want to hear he pleases you more than I do I want you I might as well be useless for all it means to you I want you did you call his name out as it held you down I want you, oh no my darling, not with that clown, I want you. I want you, you've had your fun, you don't get well no more. I want you, no one who wants you. Could want you more. I want you. I want you. I want you. Every night when I go off to bed. And when I wake up, I want you. I'm gonna say it once again till I instill it. I'm gonna go feel this way until you kill it. I want you I want you I want You know, you know, I sold him a guitar once. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I remember that. It's a wicked story. It's, it's, I'll try and keep it very, very brief. I used to work in a guitar shop called Ivor Morant's Music Centre that's still there. Um, On um, Hanway Street? Rathbone Street. Oh, Rathbone Street, yeah. yeah. Rathbone Place. Rathbone Place, Rathbone yeah, Place, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and we had a few kind of celebs used to come in and we weren't allowed to kind of like recognise them. It was rude. So I knew I knew Elvis Costello because he was Elvis Costello, yeah. and, and it was it was just after he'd released like Oliver's Army, mm. and that was in the charts, mm. and uh, and he said I'd like to buy a classical guitar, please. So I took him down to the posh classical room. We had like a cheap classical room and a posh classical room <laughs> with the really expensive guitars, and uh, I think I think I got him a Ramirez or a Rangwith or something like that, and a really really nice guitar, beautiful guitar, mm. and. Uh, I gave it to him. He said, "No, can you play it for me, please?" <laughs> so I, was, <coughs> I was I was nineteen, quaking in my boots, sort of, and I played like Bach cello concerto in D, arranged for classical guitar, and I, I played it quite well. I was absolutely bricking it, <laughs> and he listened to the whole thing, and he said, "Do you mind if I have a go?" 
I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, all right, obviously. <laughs> um, so I handed him this guitar and he played me the most amazing instrumental bossa nova version of Oliver's Army. It was, I mean, I was like, you know, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry or wee myself. Right, my album number three. I could not not have Led Zeppelin in here. <laughs> Um, and I think one of us would have had a Led, yeah. Ze- a Led Zeppelin album. It's quite hard to choose which one, mm, very. Um, unless it's Coda, in which case you wouldn't choose that. <laughs> but all the others are brilliant. See, I still quite like Coda. Yeah, you see? That's because that's you have seven years younger than me. <laughs> um, so this is this is from actually this is from Presence, which is an album that's not without its flaws. Oh. It has to be said. It's 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 one. Of, it's pretty, it's the last proper album they made before John Bonham died, isn't it? I think Coda was put together after he died. But so are you saying that Ashley Presence is your favourite Zeppelin album? That depends what day you ask me that question. <laughs> it really does. Um, I think because it contains Achilles' Last Stand, that that really tips the balance for me. Um, that tune is an absolutely mind-blowing piece of music from every single angle. I mean, I could choose Led Zeppelin 3 as my favourite Led Zeppelin Interesting. album. Interesting, Okay. Uh, because it's got Since I've Been Loving You. Absolutely. Which features one of the best, not just guitar solos, but band climaxes yeah, yeah, yeah. towards the end. There's that one key change that is just yeah. makes me want to cry every time I hear it. I, I, I would just personally, like for me, I, I, I was having this, you know, I brought, I brought Led Zeppelin 1 with me today, even though I think really my favourite is Led Zeppelin 2, maybe just because it was the first one that I bought. Yeah. You know, and you know that, that thing of like when you first get into a band? And yeah. I just remember thinking, this is mind-blowing. Well, my sister, my <laughs> sister Kari had one, two, three, and four, and mm. Houses of the Holy. Mm, mm. And I, I grew up with those albums. Mm. And the first Led Zeppelin album I bought was Physical Graffiti. Which is incredible. Which is absolutely amazing. Um, we very nearly made this show all double <laughs> albums, by the way. That, would, that obviously would have been the album. Um, back to... Presence. Back to Presence, mm. which was the last album that was made before John Bonham, very, very sadly... Um, had 40 shots of vodka and then died. Uh, Achilles' last stand. And I was, uh, funnily enough, I was talking to Luke LSB about music in general. And um, we're both from the liquid side of drum and bass. <laughs> Achilles' last stand is also his favourite track of all time. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and there's so many reasons why, from the guitar intro, from the drums are, are phenomenal, the structure of the whole tune. The way the way it builds, the way it really takes its time. It's almost like an early jungle arrangement in many ways because it's about eleven minutes long. Um, everything about it is on point. Everyone's playing on point. Robert Plant sounds absolutely incredible. Um, I, I saw them that that year in in nineteen seventy nine um, at their last UK show at Nebworth. They did two Nebworth shows to warm up for their European tour, and they were. They were kind of scared by punk at the time mm, mm. and they decided to drop certain sort of like prog rock tra- traditions that they used to do, like very, very long kind of wand guitar guitar solos and, you know, Moby Dick and stuff. They didn't do any of that. But the gig was nonetheless three hours long. Um, Achilles' Last Stand was was just phenomenal live. I mean, you know, it, it made me cry my eyes out. It was, mm. it was the first proper gig I'd ever been to. I was 18 years old, first proper festival. So um, I hope we've got time to hear all of it. If we haven't got time to hear all the track, we'll hear the best bits. But this is Achilles' Last Stand 
by Led Zeppelin from Presence.
My fourth choice is by Prince. Now, similar to, you know, the difficulty in finding your favourite Zeppelin which, album. Which one? You know, how do you choose your favourite Prince album? Yeah. Um, you know, such an, an enormous loss to the world of music when he passed away so tragically only, what, two years ago? Um, you know, for... For a long time, my favourite album actually was Purple Rain because that was probably the first Prince record that really introduced me to him. And from that, from that album and that film, which was very much, you know, I, all, my closest friends at school, we all just got immersed in Prince yeah. and the Revolution. Um, but from I think maybe a couple of years later, a couple of years later, I started to really dig into his catalogue. Um, but whilst doing that and, you know, looking looking into like his debut album and, you know, I Want to Be Your Lover and all those kind of classic moments, then, of course, this album came out, Sign of the Times. And um, it's, it's I, I guess, maybe at, at a point in which double albums were probably very unfashionable. Um, oh, in the 80s, you like, did not do double albums. Like 87, I think this came out. Um, fact is that every every song is essential on the album, um, you know, I have it. I have it on all formats, um, and you know, he's. He, he, I suppose maybe he was almost like our generation's James Brown, but but in so many ways, so much far more sort of multifaceted. Yeah. Um, such such an incredible vision uh, as a as a singer and a and a musician and an arranger and... On a parallel with Stevie Wonder in many ways. Yes, yes, true. Yeah, that's that's a better comparison, really. Um, and, you know, I think even... The fact is that, that, that maybe one, one, one of the lower points in the Prince career is when he gave away that shocking album with the Daily Mail. Do you remember that? Oh, my gosh. Not, I mean... Oh, dear. Like, I suppose that, that was still at a point when giving away music... I, that might not have been too far off the back of um, Radiohead cleverly inviting people to pay what they thought was correct for their album. It was when he but, fallen out, out of love with the whole machine of the record industry. Yeah, because, yeah. Remember that whole kind of, like... Slave. Slave and, business. Yeah. And he... It was quite cynical. He just worked mm. out that he could earn more money from the Daily Mail in terms of their licence fee... Mm. And mechanical royalties than than he would by selling it because yeah. because it was when like pirating was so big everyone was pirating you know remember, yeah. remember torrents bit torrents <laughs> yeah 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 but you know and I, I, really the saddest part of, of that whole story was the fact that he chose the Daily Mail you know one of the yeah. most disgusting <laughs> newspapers um, it, on it, the globe it, it, it wasn't great it wasn't <laughs> his, his high point let's talk about talk about but his high point though but the fact is like the output the, the prodigious output from the man was just breathtaking it kind of went on and on and uh, you know one of one of his last uh, re recordings is a track called Breakfast Can Wait which me and the girls just love yeah. and it's just another great example of him constantly looking forwards yes. being so of of the moment um but yeah you know this album you know it's very difficult to choose a track from it um you know it has so many angles to it the title track is 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 totally anthemic but in trying to think of a favourite moment from it, I think maybe the ballad of Dorothy Parker is just a it's just a really beautiful, unique love song. Classic Prince. Um, brilliant production. Um and I think maybe maybe it's easy for 
you or I to take for granted that everyone loves Prince, yeah. you know, because in fact, actually now, you know, he's he's now seen as a, you know, it's like a, well, God, God love him, he's passed away, but also, you know, that this, this is these are records that came out in the 80s, even in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I trust that that that, that recorded and song written legacy will always always continue. You've got to get to know the whole album, Sign of the Times. It mm. is absolutely essential for anybody who loves good music. It really is. I mean, there are so many tunes that you could you could choose from that. Starfish and Coffee would yep. would you know would probably do it for me. But mm. there, there's so much on there. Yeah, so yeah. The ballad of Dorothy Parker is absolutely amazing, and it goes like this. Dorothy was a waitress on the promenade. She worked the night shift. Dishwater blonde, tall and fine. She got a lot of tips. Well, earlier I'd been talking stuff in a violent room, fighting with lovers past. I needed someone with a quicker wit than mine. Dorothy was fast Well I ordered Yeah, let me get a fruit cocktail I ain't too hungry Dorothy laughed She said, sound like a real man to me You're kind of cute You wanna take a bath? Do you want? Do you want? Bath? Oh, I said cool I'm leaving my pants on Cause I'm kind of cool Someone She said sound like a real man to me Mind if I turn on the radio Oh, my favorite song, she said And it was Joni singing
My next album is by a band that I got into um, in the so-called New Wave era. They were called XTC. Um, they were from Swindon. And, and sexy. They had one. They had one hit called uh, "Making Plans for Nigel," wow. which which went top ten. Yeah. They were an extraordinary band. Um, very very stage. What's the word? Stage frightful. They they did one tour and and then they would never tour again because really? they, they got so anxious. On I the didn't stage. know that. Hated it. Really. Absolutely hate hated wow. gigs. Brilliant in the studio. Yeah. Um, this particular album, uh, Skylarking, was for me. Um, I, I I nearly wet myself on the spot because it was produced by Todd Rundgren, right. who I'm, I'm going to talk about later, uh, who's probably my all-time favourite artist and producer. And there he was producing one of my all-time favourite bands mm. from Britain, XTC. And the album is incredible. It covers so many different kind of like almost eras of music from jazz right through to 60s psychedelia right through to kind of like more current sort of new wave flavours. Um, it, it was on Virgin Records and it was at the time where Virgin were basically saying to XTC, you're not shifting enough units, we're probably going to drop you, you've got a very limited budget with this album. Todd Rungan ended up paying for most of it himself and just basically giving them free studio time to finish the album. It was just after he'd produced um, Meatloaf's album, Bat Out of Hell. Wow. And he made a packet from that album, so he could kind of afford to be altruistic. Imagine going from like Bat Out of Hell by Meatloaf to XTC. Yeah, but that that was Todd. That, <laughs> that was mad. that was the kind of guy he was. You know, he'd take on like psychedelic furs. He, he yeah, produced yeah. them. You know, yeah. all sorts of kind of weird, kind of like English sort of stuff. Did he did he produce this XTC record here in England? No, he produced it in Bearsville in his own studio in Bearsville. Huh. And reading XTC's autobiography, um, Andy Partridge talks about the ego clashes between him and Todd Rundgren mm. over everything. And when Todd went to bed, they would kind of climb out of their bunks in, in the kind of accommodation and go back into the studio and redo parts without <laughs> Todd realising it. <laughs> and sometimes he never, he never did notice, you know. <laughs> it, was, it, it was like that. They, they didn't agree on a lot of things, but they ended up making a brilliant album. Brilliant. Um, and the, the track, the, I know, there's loads of amazing tunes on this, but the track for me is, it's got a very interesting title, the man who sailed around his soul. Mm. And it's a kind of, uh, I think it's five, four time jazz tune, basically. Uh, and it's got the, the drummer from the Tubes, whose name is Prairie Prince, on drums, who is absolutely unbelievable. Brilliant. I mean, it took me, it's not listed on, on, on the record who Prairie Prince was, and it, it took me till the internet arrived to actually find out who he was. Wicked. And, and it's mind-blowing drumming. Um, <laughs> It, there's amazing flute playing, brilliant songwriting, Andy Partridge, fully on form with vocals. Yeah. Um, but I do advise you to check out the whole album. It's extremely interesting, beautiful, very well produced, totally inventive. XTC, the album Skylarking, the man who sailed around his soul. From pole to pole An eager as his drunken captain greed The mutineer had trapped all reason in the hole The man who walked across his heart And took no compass, guide or chart To rope and tie his blood congeal When he found 
choice uh i had to include some hip-hop i when i first i remember the first time i heard a james brown record but then i remember the first time that i heard uh rap music and it was public enemy and uh i so i got hold of this album called it takes a nation of millions to hold us back i had no idea what sampling was it didn't you know what what is sampling yeah hold on so what what is this cut and paste all about and i the album just blew me away I think it's 1988 um, and I was just you know you know like when 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 you sense that your taste in music or your horizons are really being stretched yeah yeah in a really good way and I'd just been I, I, I think I'd got a greatest hits of James Brown um, and then like you know just found this record and I bought three or four um, late 80s kind of hit like Three Feet High by De La Soul very different to this record but this record is so urgent it's so, so of its time. And I do think totally groundbreaking. Um, 
of course, you know, the just Chuck D as lead uh, on on the record lead in that group with his sidekick Flavor Flav with the the production Hank Shockley Terminator X all of those all those combinations making this incredible like soundscape and um of course hip hop and sampling has moved on so rapidly in all those years but I still believe that this record still sounds very very essential like you can't ignore this record absolutely and if you then dial back to what was happening in 1988 musically culturally internationally you know it's incredible um and i you know i didn't actually go and see them live i remember like the the record fascinatingly like it opens with countdown to armageddon which is basically a recording of i don't know who it was but it was like they they played at the town and country club uh now called the forum and it was like it was just you know it's this british mc introducing public enemy I think it was one of the first times they came and played live, and it was like it was chaos. But wow. it, you know, and it's re- it's just it's so exciting listening back to it. Um, there's all sorts of different tracks you could play off it. I'm going to play "Night of the Living Bassheads" just because it's just it's funky as hell. But it's it's just um, it's just a moment. It's like a major major turning point uh, in music history and a turning point in black music. And you know, uh, I have loved hip hop ever since. I'm not. I confess I'm not into a lot of sort of current stuff. My my taste is really that early '90s kind of vibe, but 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 this record is still to this day utterly brilliant. And if you want to learn about the origins of what made drum and bass, you've got to listen to this record because it kind of breaks it all down for you. Absolutely, the way the way people you learned to sample, started sampling, and the way that we then inherited that in jungle mm. and drum and bass. Yeah. Because without hip-hop, there wouldn't have been any drum and bass at all. Absolutely. And we're talking real hip-hop that mm. is based upon illegal samples. <laughs> Enjoy this. Have you forgotten that once we were brought here, we were robbed of our names, robbed of our language. We lost our religion, our culture, our God. And many of us, by the way we act, we even lost our minds. Here it is. Bam! And you say, God damn, this is a dope jam. But let's define the term called dope, and you think it means funky now? No, here is a true tale. Why the ones that deal, all the ones that fail, yeah. You can move if you wanna move. What it prove? It's here like the groove. The problem is this. We gotta fix it, check out the justice and how they run it. Selling, smelling, sniffing, riffing, and brothers trying to get swift in. Selling their own, rob a home while some shrivelable like comatose walking around. Please don't confuse this with the sound. I'm talking about face, 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 Come on, face, 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 together too. The bells of those that boost the dose of lack of lack and those that sell the black. Shame on the brother when he dealing. The same block where my 98 be wheeling. And everybody know another kilo. From a corner from a brother keep another below. And stop killing and killing. Stop grilling. Yo black yo. Be a villain. Four five o'clock in the morning. Wait a minute y'all. The fiends are feeding day to day to day. They say no other way. This stuff is really bad. I'm talking about. Oh, 
is first come, first serve basis. Standing on line, checking the time. Homeboys playing the curve, the same ones they used to do early. You heard. Now they're gone, passing it on. Poison attack the black word born. My man Daddy O once said to me, he know a brother that stayed all day in his deep, and at night he went to sleep. And in the morning, all he had was sneakers on his feet. The culprit used to jam and rock the mic. Yo, he stripped the jeep to fill his pipe and wander around to find a place where they rock to a different kind of. Come on, y'all. Hold it now, wait. Yo, run it, black. Suck the tash is a meal for kids that make cash. Selling drugs to the brother man instead of the other man. Brothers and sisters. I'm talking about. Right, my fifth album. Um, I mentioned Todd Rundgren uh, earlier, and he's he's an artist who I've grown up with, and I discovered him uh, when I was at the Whitgift Centre in Croydon, <laughs> um, and there, there was there was a record shop on the first floor. It wasn't Beano's because that wasn't in the Whitgift Centre. But no. I can't remember what it's called even. But they had a bargain basement. I couldn't afford to buy new albums. So with my pocket money and the money I used to earn working in the Burnie Inn on a Sunday, which was four ninety nine for the whole Sunday, um, I I used to buy bargain basement records, and they'd, they'd often be that you know remember those you get the album where the corners cut off, yeah, because it was imported or something. They'd literally call them cutouts because they yeah. they'd cut corners off the record sleeve. Incredible yeah. to think of that now. I know, <laughs> but they would do that to to mark it as this has been imported or something, and therefore it's not subject to some tax, so it's mm. cheaper. I could afford those. And there was an album called Back to the Bars by this guy called Todd Rundgren. And I kind of liked the artwork and, and it was cheap. And it was a double album. And it was really cheap. So, so I took a punt and I got it and completely fell in love with that album. Um, yeah, no, I won't tell you what else I did to that album. No, no. Um, but it int- introduced me to Todd Rundgren. Um, I investigated his... Cause it, when, when you discover someone through a live album, it's quite fascinating because you want to then discover the the studio versions. Mm, so you mm. go back in, in their catalogue in, in history. And I discovered the album called A Wizard, A True Star, which has become known as one of his best albums. And, you know, pretty much for me, like Prince, he's, he's quite similar, although much, much less well-known. He used to play everything himself. Mm. Every instrument, he'd overdub everything. He'd do the whole lot, write amazing songs, be very groundbreaking. Um, a Wizard of Truth star, I remember it came in at about 72 minutes long, which for a single vinyl album was quite nuts. And actually mm. on the small print, on the cover, Todd, Todd's liner notes, he said, I recommend that you record this album onto quarter-inch tape so that you can play it louder because otherwise your needle's going to feed back. <laughs> <coughs> Quite mad. But there you go. Um, loads of amazing tunes on it. Uh, very, very psychedelic in, in places, but there's a tune on there called Sometimes I Don't Know What to Feel. And the part of the reason that Todd became completely indispensable for me was this was my formative years um, as a kind of like, I, I was in my late teens. And it's, it's at that time that you really develop your emotional awareness 
and your sense of empathy with the world around you. And I didn't get any support from my parents with that because they were, they were post-Victorian. <laughs> God love them, you know. Um, so we didn't do emotional talk or anything like that. There was none of that whatsoever. So I was reliant on reading the works of J.R. Tolkien uh, and, uh, and and listening to... Such a geek. I know, li- listening to Todd Rundgren, who thankfully was, as it, you know, thankfully was a good spiritual guide for me. Um, he's quite politically sound. And uh, his lyrics always meant a lot to me and spoke to me, but more than that, the music and the production and everything. But this tune, you know, for, for, for an 18-year-old, sometimes I don't know what to feel. It just says it all. It says everything about what it's like living in a confusing world and not knowing which way to turn and, and how to feel. But the whole album's absolutely mind-blowingly amazing. So, yeah, Todd Rundgren.
when you were talking about Todd and you were talking about uh, live albums, just I'm just interested to know, because I would often always avoid live albums. To me, live albums would often just be just poor. Uh, now that, but I know so what I'm, you're leading up no, to here. No, but, I I'm do. Just, but I'm just interested to know. I do. I'm interested to know what you what you would say is the best live album that you've got. The best live album in, in my collection is without a shadow of a doubt made in Japan by Deep Purple. <laughs> and I know I know that's what you've chosen because I know no, it's, no, the be- no, no, it's the best it's one not. in your collection. Is it not? <laughs> no, You're going to shock me here. No, it is. Uh, I mean, I actually, I actually brought it. I, I do confess that at growing up, I adored Live and Dangerous, Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Brilliant no, album, brilliant. No, like absolutely better than it. any of their studio albums. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I actually brought Made Japan with me, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, you know, like I'm just like trying to sort of like think, oh, but which are the albums that I really, really want to play? Like, I'll just say, go and listen to it. It's amazing. But I just wanted to ask you that. Yeah. Um, the next album that I've chosen um, is Balance of the Force by Boy Morang. Ah, nice, nice. Um, I'm aware that a lot of the records that we're probably playing through are relatively old, and as you rightly said, I mean, a lot of that is because these are the records that have helped make us the odd people that we are, that have have contributed to how we try and uh, contribute our sort of musical vision. Um, And how eccentric... As a result, yeah, hospital and med school are, yeah, in hopefully in, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, I suppose, hopefully, lending some genuine sort of character um, and personality in trying to sort of like pick out albums. I just thought, you know, um, I didn't really want all of my records just to be from the seventies and eighties. Um, I think, I think that this this album con- constantly stands up. It's now twenty one years old. Uh, came out on EMI, was a one-off from Boy Morang. Um, he had only a handful of tracks released, like Single on Prototype, um, you know, a track here and there. But this album, which of course came out in that initial wave of the major labels saying, ooh, this is interesting. Oh, when they, when they leapt on drum and bass, yeah. So, you know, yeah, we're sort yeah, of yeah. talking like off the back of 94 into 95 and a number of artists, you know, who we're all aware of, you know, were quite rightly offered record deals. Um, but Graham Boymerang stood out on his own. Yeah. Didn't really make sense with everyone else. Um, and um, this record is, I just think, really, really special every time. It's a record like, you know, one of the great things about hospital records now in our lovely new premises mm. and in one big open plan office um, is the way that between us we all try and sort of jump on the office stereo um, via our dodgy Bluetooth connection. Yeah. But like, you know, you can put on Balance of the Force and some of our younger staff are kind of like going, oh, is this out yet? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds yeah. great. Who is it? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, because it's that, it's that forward thinking. It, it's that, it's that original. Um, and certainly was a, for me personally, was a very, very important record in making me want to be part of the drum and bass scene. You know, you and I came from, a kind of a, a left field acid jazz rare groove perspective, having worked, you know, together on your label and 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 loved that, you know, that that late eighties, early nineties, very, very vibrant uh London scene of, 
you know, spearheaded by by labels like Talking Loud and Acid Jazz and Dorado. None, none of them we would consider friends, and mm. you know, a lot of great uh, bands, uh, DJs, club nights, and yet then we sort of staggered into the drum and bass world, sort of by not by mistake, but because we were, you know, we were so fascinated by. Well, yeah, uh, it, was, it was timeless uh, by by Goldie, Rob Playford, and Diane Charlemagne. Yeah. That did it for me, Inner City Life, that but, track. You know, and also, but also like, you know, hearing Shut Up and Dance and listening to, you know, the records that John Peel would support. Yeah. And, you know, being Londoners and being based in North London at the time and just, just, just feeling that urgency and that just uh, phenomenal or, original energy. And, yeah. you know, and I just remember, you know, we, used to, we started to talk about it more and more. We were like, you know, I, we need to be part of this. This is like, this is, this is happening now. You know the thing we, about we were also making disco as well. No, we were absolutely, and, yeah, yeah. Which was quite confusing, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but but I suppose because the thing is like because you know we'd sort of, I think maybe my route into acid jazz was like a lot of other people was kind of because of a love of old music. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot of people fell into acid jazz because we loved, you know, we loved jazz and and funk and fusion and Steely Dan and you know like picking up on those sort of mm. influences where where drum and bass and jungle. Of course, we could recognise some of the some of the flavours that are in that, but it just sounded completely future music to me, and that's what this record really still sounds like to me. Um, after 21 years, um, it's still a brilliant um, slice of uh, original drum and bass music. And Graham Sutton was an amazing musician as well. Yeah, and like but, phenomenal. And and uh, interestingly put this record out and then turned his back on the scene and started producing guitar bands, actually yeah. very successfully. Yeah. Um, and I, I recommend the entire album from start to finish, but in, in wanting to tr take a track from it, I think I just have to play the opening track, uh, which is called Soul Beat Runner. Nice.
Okay, well, we're um, reaching the... I think we're, th- we're three or four albums away yeah. from, from the end of this podcast. Yeah. And uh, we're only scratching the surface. Mm. And I, I would just like to say at this point, uh, if there's anyone still listening, um, <laughs> that we, we never sit our artists down and make them listen to this music. We've never once done that. We wouldn't dream of doing no, that. This, no. this is the music that that informs our thought processes and our our emotional kind of processing of music, and it it's what kind of brought us to this point. But we we never kind of get these albums out and and hit people over the head with them. Although we've had a few <laughs> artists that I'd quite like to do that with. <laughs> Not going to name any names. More than more than one, it has to be said. Um, but uh, yeah, this 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 is just kind of like why we love music and hopefully gives you an inkling into maybe why hospital sounds a little bit like mm. the way that the way that it does yeah um so changing tack i'm going to go for an artist called jeff love <laughs> who was a a british kind of big band leader and specialized in doing cover version albums but they were very, very cheap to buy in the 1970s, almost like the musical equivalent of Pulp Fiction, mm. really. Mm. He would do covers of any kind of big TV show or or movie theme, and he'd arrange them for, for the Jeff Love Orchestra, who were fantastic. And I, I actually had the honour of roadieing for them. Did you? I did, yeah. No way. On, on a tour of Gibraltar. <laughs> Which obviously wasn't a very long tour, but we, but we, we were there for a week. And I, I, I got the gig because uh, my, my girlfriend was playing sax in the Jeff Love Orchestra at the time. No, I didn't know that. And uh, they, need, they needed a humper, as, as mm. they were called then. So mm. I got the gig as the humper. And my job was to set out the whole orchestra and all the music stands and everything. Um, Jeez, it was a quite a job. Well, it was. A lot of stuff there. It was, but we actually got to stay in, in the barracks because Gibraltar was basically just, just it is, it's just an, there's army mm. and pubs and fights. Yeah. That's kind of, well, maybe it's different now. English calves. And, and monkeys as well. So, um, we were, yeah, so anyway, I got, I got to know Jeff Love. He's a lovely guy. Very, very nice. Mm. Really, really nice guy. But this album I discovered when you and me had started hospital and London electricity and we were on a mad insane trawl for samples mm. um, and I can't remember if it was you or if it was me who discovered this uh, but big big terror movie themes is absolutely amazing <laughs> the, the, the one with the shark on it's the front. it's got cover. the shark yeah. on the front it's got Jaws obviously yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone covered Jaws yeah. you know but the highlight of this album is the cover version of Tubular Bells now Tubular Bells by Mike Oldfield was was 25 minutes long. It was one side of an entire album. This version is about three minutes long. <laughs> and it has got one of the best drum breaks ever in it. It's just a phenomenal piece of music. And I remember when you and me were playing together as London Electricity. And I, I don't know if we were booked to play as London Electricity, as Future Homo Sapiens or whatever, but Mr. Scruff booked us to, to come and play. And he very and we were his first guest. Yeah, that, no, you that, remember that was as, as London Electricity, yeah, in Manchester. It was, wasn't yeah, it? At, at the Dry Bar. Yeah, it was quite a re- like a really big bar that just opened. And and he was as as he does. He normally does the whole night himself, mm. you know, for six hours. And he actually, it was a real massive honour to be mm. invited by Mr. Scruff to come and play. Yeah. And I remember 
dropping the Jeff Love version of Tubular Bells and the place went off when the drums came in. I mean, you just listen to it. Ricky. It's brilliant. So it's about three minutes long. It's absolutely amazing. I really, really hope you enjoy it. And do listen to the album on Spotify because you won't be able to find a copy. Uh, you'll really enjoy it. It's not like it's not going to change your life, but it will definitely make you smile. <laughs> I think this wow. is my final choice. It, it is, it is. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, so this is my final choice. What's, what's your seventh album, Chris? So my seventh album is Original Pirate Material by The Streets. Brilliant. Uh, I guess maybe spinning off uh, a choice of Public Enemy. Um, I think, again, this album was just a very, very significant moment huge respect for Mike Skinner that 
um, combination of sort of North London and Birmingham that gave such a unique and does give such a unique sort of twang to his, to his vocal delivery. But this record just, you know, I remember I, I stuck it on in the office maybe about a year ago and it just sounded brilliant. And, um, you know, it's funny, it's deep, it's emotional, it's got all, all the right sort of production feels. It's raw as well. Totally raw, but like, and and you know, and I think I think the power of that record was demonstrated when he uh, quite recently toured that album again, and those tickets flew out the door. Yeah, and everyone yeah. Wanted, wanted a ticket to that show, and you know, uh, you know, you and I have inspired musical inspirations from so many different places. Probably a lot of American records, you know, for all sorts of, for all sorts of good reasons. But you know, original pirate material is so essentially. British in so many ways, you know, has so many lyrical and musical elements that really, that really speak to me. That just, just uh, help me kind of understand the day to day. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I love the, I love the lyricism. It's, it's, it's just on point. It's very, very funny. It's also, it's also quite, quite heartbreaking at times. Um, and also, you know. <laughs> I tried to sort of think, what's my favourite track? Well, I suppose maybe it's a bit obvious, but has it come to this? Which was probably his breakout moment. It was the I don't know if it was the first or second single, but that that was his breakout moment. Suddenly, everyone was going, "What is this?" Yeah, you know, this kind of pirate radio garage sort of British spoken word thing, whatever it is, um, and also you know. It, that somewhat indirectly sort of gave uh, Lincoln High Contrast quite a big moment because as as was the case at that time, you know, 2001, 2002, when Lincoln had already released his debut album and was just firing on all cylinders and, as we're all aware, uh, had a tendency to make the odd bootleg remix. He did a version of this which, uh, when I was actually still DJing, I was just, like, DJing on my own and I, um, I went to the music box up in Manchester to play with the Unabombers, Luke and Justin. Yeah. They had this amazing um, weekly night down in the music box, Wicked Club, which I think has since long gone. And I remember I was really excited. I was incredibly nervous because I was the guest. Uh, There's probably about 700 people there. Very dark, lots of like low camo netting, massive sound system. And the great thing about Luke and Justin and their night was it's very eclectic, similar to as you were describing with Andy Scruff. And that that suited me, but at the same time, I was just you know I was kind of panicking about I need I need to bring a few specials, and I had, I had Lincoln's dub plate, as it comes to this, his remix, Porky's dub plate, and it's just you know one of those lovely moments you know you've experienced many times as a DJ, and I had a few of, but just and I had to rewind that three times. They Wicked. almost they almost pulled the ceiling down. That's amazing, you know, and so. I've I've all but you know I love that remix but I've always loved this album and it, it it's well worth revisiting it's it's of its time um a, you know a, a a very sort of millennial record which it's, I like, it's actually like a book the yeah. album the album yeah, is, yeah. the album is like reading a novel it's like reading a story from beginning to yeah. end it's incredible and that's what you know that's that, that's the kind of artist that, that that Mike Skinner is you know I mean as far as I'm aware I think he's kind of re- retired from from recording but it's a you know it's it, it's a really special record uh, but does need to be played from start to finish absolutely totally agree with that so I trust that you all enjoy uh, the streets has it come to this has it come to this oh. Oh, oh, oh. original pirate material you're listening to the streets Lock down your aerial has it come 
reveals. Original pirate material. You're listening to the streets. Lock down your area. Make yourself at home. We got diesel or some of that homegrown. Sit back in your throne. Turn off your phone, cause this is our zone. Videos, televisions, 64s, PlayStations. Web Henry with precision. Few herbs and a bit of Benson. But don't forget the Rizzler. Lean like the Tower of Pisa. These are Oasia. And this is a day in the life of a geezer. For this ain't a club track. Pull out your sack and sit back. Whether you white or black, smoke weed, chase brown or toot rock We're on a mission, support the cause, sign a petition Summon all your wisdom, the music's a gift from The man on high, the lord and his children Triple team, you're a root boys Come rain or snow, the Buddha flows If you don't know, stand on the corner, watch the show Cause life moves slow, sort your shit out then roll Sex, drugs and on the dole Some men rise, some men fall, I hear your call, stand tall now How's it come to this? To the streets, Lock down your aerial. I'm just spitting. Think I'm ghetto, stop dreaming. My data's streaming. I'm giving your bird them feelings. Touch your toes and touch the ceiling. We walk the tightrope of street cred. Keep my dogs fed. All jungle or garage heads. Gold teeth, Valentinos, and dreads. Now, you were verbally slapped up, physically tipped up, spinally ripped up. I do the science on my laptop. I get my boys mashed up You're listening to the streets You'll bear witness to some amazing feats Bravery in the face of defeat All line up and grab your seat Cause Tony's got a new motor SR Nova driving like a joyrider Speed into the corner Your mother warns you it's a sound system banger How's it come to this? Original pirate material You're listening to the streets Lock down your aerial How's it come to this? Original pirate material You're listening to the streets Lock down your aerial My underground train runs from Mile End to Ealing From Brixton to Bounds Green My spitting's dirty, my beats are clean So smoke weed and be lean I step out my yard through the streets In the dead heat, all I got's my spirit and my beats I play fair, don't cheat And keep the gangsters sweet Turn the page, don't rip it out at your age Move to the next stage Lock the rage inside the cage Like SK, it's a new day But don't take the shortcut through the subway It's pay or play, these geezers walk the gangway Deep-seeded urban decay Deep-seeded urban decay Rip down posters alike from last week's big garage night And the next Tyson fight I cook them at 90 degrees Fahrenheit And don't copy the copyright I got them in my sights Blinded with the lights Take them to dizzy new heights Blinded with the lights Blinded with the lights Dizzy new heights How's it come to this? Original pirate material You're listening to the streets Lock down your aerial How's it come to this? Original pirate material You're listening to the streets Lock down your aerial How's it come to this? Original pirate material You're listening to the streets Lock down your aerial How's it come to this? Original pirate material You're listening to the streets Lock down your aerial How's it come to this? This album is quite extraordinary from so many different angles. Uh, my final choice is by Ian Jerry and the Blockheads. 
the album's called New Boots and Panties. Good, 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 good following from the streets, really. Well, it is. I mean, because <laughs> it, it was a brilliant social commentary mm. of its time. Mm. Lyrically, Ian Jury was absolutely phenomenal. Mm. Um, it with the content, the delivery, the bands were absolutely amazing. Put mm. together by Chaz Jankel, who, who yeah. was the musical director, and he was basically like a kind of East London Quincy Jones. The way he approached. Production and band leadership, you know, he was of of that ilk. He he was phenomenal. Um, in fact, you should check out his uh, his version of, of Razzmatazz. It's quite amazing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, uh, New Beats and Panties spawned quite quite a few hits, and the one that really got me into Ian Jury was "Hit Me with Your Rhythm Stick." And this was at a time of big life change for me when I discovered disco. And I lived in Surrey and my school was in Epsom. And Epsom was famous at the time for having four massive Victorian mental homes <laughs> and, and, and two schools, <clears throat> one of which was, was, the, was Glyn Grammar School that I went to. And black grammars weren't posh in those days. You either went to Comprehensive or Grammar. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got into the grammar school. And there was a school disco and it was where, where I, I, I would meet girls, hopefully, um, or giddles, as Ivor Cutler likes to call them. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I used to, used to dance to... And in those days, discos, the, the DJ would talk and the DJ would sort of Tony Blackbone style yeah, talk yeah, yeah, between yeah, records yeah. and would play the same record each week mm. because there wasn't a massive turnover like there is now. Yeah, you know? right, yeah. And it was the same time that Le Freak by Sheik came out uh, which which I, I could well have chosen as a seminal record for myself because it, it really changed my guitar playing from trying to play like Jimmy Page to trying to play like Niall Rogers. <laughs> well, Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick was quite similar in a way because it contains so many amazing musical textures and lines yeah, yeah. and riffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, got, it's got a double sax solo that was performed live on top of the pops by, by the sax player. Yeah. Uh, with an alto and a tenor, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. it's a phenomenally funky piece of dance music mm-hmm. that will tear up any dance floor. Lyrically, yeah. it's amazing. And it expressed yeah. to me everything that I felt about me, my place in the world, and why music was going to be my home. <laughs> Deserts of Sudan and the gardens of Japan, from Milan to Yucatan, every woman's every man. Hit me with your rhythm stick, hit me, hit me, Jitada, ich liebe dich, hit me, hit me, hit me. With your rhythm stick, hit me slowly, hit me quick, hit me, hit me, hit me. In the wilds of Borneo and the vineyards of Bordeaux, 
Eskimo, Arapaho, move their body to and fro. Hit me with your rhythm stick, hit me, hit me, das ist gut, say, fantastic, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me with your rhythm stick, it's nice to be a lunatic, hit me, hit me, hit me. Hey! 